Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. I left glory and I came to earth. Born of a virgin, mistreated, grow up, never sin, live a perfect, holy, sinless life. Knew the whole while I was going to die in your place. And I began to make my way to the cross on your behalf. I'm innocent. It's all about you. And they disrespected me for you. They beat me for you. They imprisoned me falsely for you. They flogged me in front of everybody for you. They stripped me of my clothing for you. They nailed me to a cross for you. I died in public on a cross for you. Jesus did it all for you. He laid down his glory in heaven, came down to earth, endured man's scorn, and brutally died for you. Will you lay down your life for him? Today, Pastor Bill reminds us that Jesus was innocent and lived for us. Knowing full well all he would face on earth, he agreed to go through it because he loves us. He loves us. He wants to dry our tears, lift our hearts, calm our minds here on earth, and then wants to spend eternity with us in heaven. Let's cling to Jesus and let him do whatever he wants. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. So we've been making our way through the book of 1 Timothy and... As you guys have heard each week, uh, this letter is written by Paul, uh, who's one of the apostles. Paul, who wrote a good majority of our New Testament. It was written to a young man, Timothy, who Paul considered to be a son in the faith. And he was encouraging him, teaching him the things that he would need to know to do all the things that God was calling him to do. And so as we come now to the end of the book, you know, we've dealt with kind of the roles of men and women in the church. We've dealt with the qualifications for those that would serve and help in the church, for those that would function as pastors uh, or overseers. And we've looked at those things. Uh, We've looked at things that Timothy's been warned to stay away from. And so in this last chapter, we cover a few different topics. And in this chapter, we're going to look at uh, being a witness while we work. And so for you guys that work, uh, out in the world somewhere, or maybe you even work for a believer. Um, how important is it uh, how you behave at work as a Christian? So we're going to talk about that this morning, being a witness while you work. Um, we're going to look at the source of true contentment. And so we do live in a world where many are very discontented. And so we're going to look at how, how, do we, how do we have true contentment? Where does it come from? We're going to look at things that we're to flee from and things that we're to go after, pursue. And then lastly, we'll see the believer's attitudes towards money. And so uh, what should our attitude be towards money? Um, Should it be different than the world? Should it be just like the world? Those are some of the things that we'll see in this chapter. So if you guys would uh, look at chapter six of first Timothy, verse one, it says, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke, count their own masters worthy of all honor. If you have an old King James Bible, um, this bond servants may also, it'll say slaves. And so I, I got to take a moment and break something down because something that I was told when I wasn't saved, it sounded like a very valid and viable excuse why I didn't have to believe in the Bible. I was told that the Bible was given to black people during slavery to make them, to help them be passive so they wouldn't fight against the master. So they would just kind of submit. So when I wasn't saved and I didn't want to follow God anyway, I was like, yeah. And so when people are pro, I'm like, they, that, they gave that book to us during slavery. You know, I'm like, I ain't no slave, son. You know, it was a good excuse to not give the Bible any chance. Now, 
There are several places that they would go to to cite verses they would cite. This is one of them. There's one in Colossians. Uh, there's about four different passages that they would go to the site and say, look, it's telling the slaves to be passive, to just do whatever that they say. And so I, I want to do the Bible justice. I, I feel like I needed to clear that up because maybe you may run into someone that says that to you. So first of all, um, this was written well. This was written many, 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 many years before they took Africans and started moving them out for slavery. Understand that these are the Roman Empire was almost 50 percent slaves. And so as Christianity was coming into this culture, as people were coming to Christ, they were coming into an area where people were already enslaved. Now, the question is, how did you become enslaved? Because when I think of slavery, I think of them going to Africa, snatching all the black folk, putting them on a boat, bringing them over here, putting them on the block, selling them into slavery. That's what my mind thinks of when I hear the word slavery. Here it was very different. And I went and looked into it. I just wanted to make sure I was accurate in the things that I tell you guys, sir. These are some of the ways that people would have ended up in slavery at this time where this was written. Uh, one, if there was battle. So the Roman Empire was going to war with everybody. If they came to your town and they had war and they won the war, well, whoever was left, y'all are going to be their slaves. That's just the way that that went. You'd be taken as slaves. So now that's one way you could become a slave. You got captured in war. They let you live. You die or you'd be a slave. And so that's how some people became slaves in this empire. Now, if mom and dad were slaves and mom and dad did what moms and dads do and you were born, guess what you became? A little bitty, little bitty slave. So you could be born into slavery because your parents were slaved. Parents that had children that they couldn't afford uh, could uh, would abandon them. Abandoned children were brought into slavery. This is maybe trouble some of you guys, but if parents were also having a hard time financially and you, they actually could sell their children into slavery. And some people did that. Now, some people sold their children into slavery because it wasn't as we presume some. It may be a poor family looking at this rich household saying, I'm going to sell my son to you guys because he'll live better there than he will with us. It wasn't always a scenario where like, well, again, when I think of slavery, I think of them beating us, hanging folks and all of that. It was more like our employee-employer relationship, except you live there. Um, so, and I'll, I'll speak more on that. So you could be born into it, caught, um, you could be sold into it. If you had debt and you couldn't pay your debt, so you ran up, you know, you ran up your, your Roman visa or whatever they had back then, you had debt and the debtor came and said, it's time to pay. You couldn't pay. You and depending on how much your debt was, you and your family could be taken as slaves. So for some of y'all that got the credit man calling back here, they just be coming to take you. <laughs> you you going to work it off. You know, so um, that was a way that you could be brought into slavery if you couldn't pay your debt. So there were many ways in which someone could become a slave. Once you were a slave, you were a slave to whoever the master was. Now, this is what was happening as Christianity was on the rise in the area. God didn't, as believers are coming in and Paul is teaching Timothy, hey, there's a lot of conflict here. Now imagine this. Imagine that, you know, this guy is a slave or this guy is a rich guy. He has slaves, but he's Christian. And then he's got one of his slaves is the elder at the church. And so they go to church on whatever, you know, Sunday and, you know, slave, whoever is, he's the elder at church. You do what I see. You submit to him at the fellowship He's bringing the word. He's ministering. But you go back home and he's the, the master. He's the boss. What I had to do just to understand, I had to like undo 
I can only think in terms of my mind just naturally goes to I think of black slavery. This is totally different. It's a different era. There were different reasons why people were slaves. And it wasn't always a negative for some people. Um, back then, if you were having a hard time getting work, people would become day laborers. And so they would stand out and hope to get hired for the day. Um, it was better to be a slave than a day laborer because a day laborer, if you got work for the day, you got work for the day, you got paid whatever you got paid, but then you had to go, you were free, but you had to now with that day's wage, you had to figure out how to pay, you know, where to live, food, if you had a family. If you were a slave and you lived somewhere, your room and your housing and your food were covered as you lived there. And so for some, they preferred to be a slave rather than be a day laborer. All that said, there was slavery when they got here. And so Paul and his ministry to Timothy is saying, hey, it needs to be handled a certain way. Um, if you are a slave, um, you're a bond servant, you need to honor your master, those that are over you. In the 21st century, for our culture right now, this would be much like the employee-employer relationship where they're over you and you're dependent upon them. They're things that they expect from you. And there's a way in which you do your job. And it's important as believers that we do it in a way that honors the Lord. So let's look at it now. It says, now again, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke. I mean, you're under. They got people over you. Count their own masters worthy of all honor. So they're to give honor. It means to be good, to be respectful workers. They're to give honor to the people over them. So what you could ask yourself for you guys that work out in the world is, what's your attitude like towards the boss? You know, I've heard people at the work, oh, it, it, it come master, cracking the whip. You know, they, they make it sound like slavery again. But what's your attitude like towards those over you? Um, is it just like everybody else? Do you sound just like the world around you? Is your attitude to them right? Is it respectful? Now, most people are respectful in the boss's presence. But I'm asking, I'm just being real and saying when they're not there, what's your attitude like when the boss is not around? Do you talk about them like everybody else? You complain against them like everybody else? Do you work hard in their presence and then slack off when they're not there? What kind of an employee are you? And what does your work ethic say about your faith? If your boss had to de develop an opinion about God based on the fact that you said you're a Christian and you work for him, what kind of an opinion would they walk away with? Does your boss want to hire more Christians because of how you work? Or is your boss saying, I ain't hiring no more. You go to church? Nope. You know, it's just what have you done to the image of Christ in your work? And so if you're writing notes, write down Colossians chapter three, uh, verse 22 to 24. I'm going to read it to you real quick. Colossians chapter three, verses 22 to 24 says, bond servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, not just when they're looking as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily. That means do it with all your heart. As unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for we serve the Lord Christ. And so in Colossians, another reminder that, hey, make sure that you do what you do as unto the Lord, not to men. Don't do it for them. Do it for God. You're a witness to the Lord in your work. And so back to 1 Timothy 6. And notice what it says. So we're to honor them. Um, our own masters are there to be worthy of honor. It says so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed and so that they wouldn't have a, a wrong opinion, a wrong thought, a negative view about God based on your work ethic, how you've behaved at work. Verse two, and those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, 
but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. And so what could happen if someone ends up with a boss that's a Christian? Oh, you Christian? And then Christians are terrible. Sometimes it's the worst thing in the world when a Christian knows they're working for a Christian because right away they're like, oh, I can slack off. I'm not going to be in it. I just, I just need some time to meditate. I just need to pray. You would never do that to in the world, but you're like, but you, you have to, you just expect them to be more understanding of your slothfulness and how come you don't do a, 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 all that you could do. He says, hey, especially when you serve in another believer, he says, even more so because now the people being benefited by your labor are Christians. You should even do a better job. And so I found it many times to be the other way around. When someone finds out bosses, are you saved? Oh, word. Yeah. You know, I'm going to just I'm going to call with. Hey, could you pray for me? I'm you know, I just you know, I didn't just give them different things like that. We don't give our best. It should even be more so uh, when you're working for someone that's a believer. So don't despise them uh, because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. And he tells Timothy, teach and exhort these things. And so God just gave me some order to something that already existed within their culture. And again, there was a uh, in some places they say it was it was up to 50 percent of the Roman Empire were slaves. And so it was an important thing to have some structure. How to how's that to be dealt with? So God has spoken to the slave, uh, those in service. He's also spoken to those over that are believers that how that they would do it in a way both ways would honor the Lord. And so now in verse three, we kind of switch gears and. As we come down through this section, uh, we're going to talk about greed and, and what people pursue and people's attitude towards things. But let's look at verse three. It says, if anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which accords with godliness. And so Paul tells Timothy, anybody that doesn't teach this, anybody that disagrees with what you're teaching, he says, look at verse four. He is proud knowing nothing, but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men's corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain from such withdraw yourself. Let me go back because there are people that have a hard time with uh, Christianity because Christianity is very clear cut. There are some things that we believe that um, there's not really a, I can't really waffle. I can't say, well, I believe this and you believe that and we can all just get along. As a Christian, I believe some things that if you don't agree with it, you're wrong. And they say, that's arrogant. Oh, that's arrogant. Oh, that's narrow. How, just to say that your way is the only way. But did we say it? Who said our way is the only way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody gets to the father. He said it. I'm just saying what Jesus said, right? But the world has a very hard time with that because right now in our culture, in our society, they're looking for people have this need to worship and they have a need for, you know, spiritual belief. Let's find a way to give them that um, where they can all kind of have it together. And so they want this googly gop, this melting pot of, of beliefs for a Christian. It doesn't work. I can worship with a Buddhist. I don't believe in Buddha. I don't believe Buddha is God. I don't, I don't I can't worship with a Muslim. I don't believe that that's God. I don't believe that it's correct. I don't I can't. I can just worship God with other Christians. That's it. Narrow. If it's, it is, he said narrow is the way <laughs> that leads to life and few there be that find it. So I, 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 I obviously see letting me know I'm on the right track. That's narrow. Amen. Right. Where that's what it's supposed to be. That's the way he made it. So 
Um, so as you read this here, Paul says, hey, Timothy, anybody teaching something else? He doesn't say, hey, it's okay. You know, it's just another. They're just teaching it a different way, but it's all right. I want you to notice the severity and the harshness of the words that he used. He didn't say, hey, don't worry about it. It's, they're, just, they're, just, they're just kind of doing it different. He says, look, if they're teaching something else, he says, anyone who teaches otherwise, other than what I'm telling you, what I'm teaching you came straight from God. Paul, the apostle, he's an apostle. He got this message from the Lord that he's given to Timothy. He says, anybody teaches something different. If anybody says it in another way, he says, listen to what they are. He says, they're, he says he is proud. And so when you look at false teachers and false doctrine, a lot of times you have men that are proud. They could see that they're wrong, but they're too proud to go back on it. That's where you get a lot of your cults. I, I, I've questioned, I've looked at guys, and I'm like, they handle the word of God like a lot. They preach weekly, um, but they're teaching false doctrine. I don't understand. It seems like they would get it at some point. Maybe, maybe they misunderstood it here. They're in it enough to where eventually they would see that it was right, but you find as you discuss and talk with some of these guys that they're so proud. That even if you show them that it's not right, they're too proud to go back. They're too proud to say, hey, when I preached all those years, it was wrong. Now, now I'm going to change my, they're too proud. So he said, you find someone cheating something else, they're proud. He says, knowing nothing. They don't know anything, but they're obsessed. It says with disputes and arguments of words. And he goes on and on and on. And the last thing he tells him, he says, they suppose that godliness is a means for gain. Anybody know some ministries that seem to exist for the purpose of gain? Because they suppose that being godly is how you get stuff. And then they teach it to the people. You guys want to be rich? You want to prosper? You know, and the God, like, as though godliness were a, being close with God were a means to get stuff. Can I tell you what a slap in the face that has to be to God? Consider what God did for you and me, right? God said, look, you guys were spiritually bankrupt, all of you. Sinners destined for eternity apart from God in a place called hell. You're, the wages of sin is death. God said, but I love you guys so much. So concerned that I made a way. I left heaven. I left glory and I came to earth, born of a virgin, mistreated, grow up, never sinned, live a perfect, holy, sinless life. Knew the whole while I was going to die in your place. And I began to make my way to the cross on your behalf. I'm innocent. It's all about you. And they disrespected me for you. They beat me for you. They imprisoned me falsely for you. They flogged me in front of everybody for you. They stripped me of my clothing for you. They nailed me to a cross for you. I died in public on a cross for you. That's what I did for you, God would say to me and to you. I did that for you. I love you guys that much that you might be saved. And so for the believer, that's true riches that I have a relationship with God. I've come into a relationship with Jesus. I'm going to heaven when I die. Is there any amount of money you could pay to go to heaven? No. So he's offering to me for free what money can't buy. God said, you have everything you need in me. I am it. For the rest of your life, you were saved, you were lost, you were saved, you were blind, now you see. You were in bondage, I've set you free. You were destined for hell, now heaven is your home. And you got an ongoing relationship with me. You are rich, no matter what you have on earth. That's what a man of God, a pastor, a, someone that loves, that's what they're going to preach to people. I'll tell somebody broke that got God, you got everything you need. You got everything you need. Because when you die, you can't take it with you. Right? When you die... It won't matter the day you die, if you were broke or a billionaire, it won't matter for you. What's going to matter when you die is did you know Jesus, right? It won't matter. It, it, everything after you die is irrelevant. 
I was, he was broke. He's going to have a sad funeral. He, if he's in heaven, he ain't worried about that sad little funeral. You know, just like if that person in hell, they don't care about that $10,000 casket and everybody talking about how good they were. They're in hell right now. I, I read this book by this man. His name is Erwin Lutzer called One Minute After You Die. And one of the, the chapters that just it just it just it made me pause. It made me think. He said there's there are days where there are funerals and there are bodies in caskets and there are people coming up and saying what a great person there were. And there's all this fanfare and people are feeling better about it and all this stuff that person's experience in their first days in hell apart from God while everybody else is doing whatever. Um, and it's just a sobering reality that, you know, we got to preach the gospel now. And so here he says, look, these guys suppose that godliness is a means for financial gain. And so they believe it so that they can get it. And then they sell it to you guys and sell it to other people. We have to be so careful that I don't sell out the riches of Jesus, that I don't diminish that and make it seem as OK. Now I need Jesus so that I can get some stuff on earth. I need Jesus because without him, where am I going? To hell. I, that's why I need Jesus. I need Jesus because without him, I'm lost. And, and there's no other way. And so here again, he says that they suppose that godliness is a, a means of gain. He says, from such, withdraw yourself. And I often tell people that I find that are fellowship in a place like that, you need to leave, right? That they prosper because you go. And, you know, and then you can't go without giving because that's the whole motive. The whole thing is there'd be four and five offerings. My wife and I were at a church where there'd be three offerings. And then, right, then afterwards, so they have one offering, tithes and offering. That's just basic. That's just, that's entry level. Then there'd be the, the, the building fund. <laughs> the tithes and offering ain't covering the building. So there's a building offering. Then you got to come around and they march you around. So the thing is right here and everybody, you get to do it in front of everybody. Then you come around again. Pastors love offering. You love your pastor? <laughs> pastor love offering time. Then the deacons would count it up right here. They counted the money before service could go on. And they would write down what it was and walk it up to the pastor. He would look at it. And, and I mean, I, I'll never remember where it was. It would always be like this. He would look at it and say, no. And he would just say something. Say, okay, God, we, we, need, we need five more people to give $100. Five people with $100. And then there'd be five people that would, obviously they held out. <laughs> so now they're, they're, now they're coming and giving $100 more in front of everybody. And this is, this is what's wrong with that, right? First of all, this is my take on it. When you guys show up here, it should have been decided before you got here what y'all were going to give. It's not my job to coerce you, to shake you up and down. If it's going to be an act of worship between you and the Lord, it's something you work out before you get here. I'm, I'm willingly coming and offering this to God because I love God. I wasn't coerced. Pastor didn't say something to make me feel guilty. I love God and this is what he gave me and I'm giving back to God of my own free will. Boom, that's worship. Now we fold it up in a little envelope and don't nobody know who gave what. I don't know if you gave. We don't know who gave what. It's between you and the Lord. The Bible says when you're doing charitable deeds, it says don't let your left hand know what your what? What your right hand is doing. God says your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So I can't have you come up front and be like, I'm giving a thousand dollars. That's your reward. Everybody that's like, wow, she gave a thousand dollars. I mean, soak that in. I mean, soak it in real good. That's it. That's your reward. We robbed you twice. So here he says they've made godliness something about gaining financial gain and it's not about that that's not God's heart for you and for me we need to come to a place where we are so content we're so thankful to know God that I think when we understand the riches of that that you know I could be broke and have God I'm good I could have a lot of things and have God I'm good I, I'm good because I have God 
I'm content because I got a relationship with the Lord. That will stabilize you in a, in a world that's very unstable. Many of us here, maybe, maybe you've had a lot. Maybe you've had a little. Maybe you've had finances go like this. But if you got a relationship with the Lord, it should just it should steady you when everything else is kind of going like this. It should just be a stabilizing factor. Thank you for joining us today on A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. We're so glad you took the time to be here. Pastor Bill is diving into the book of 1 Timothy, a letter Paul wrote to the young pastor with words of wisdom on how to lead. Paul taught Timothy to serve in humility by sharing his own story of salvation. In 1 Timothy 1 verse 12, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointed me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly and in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. There is no quicker antidote to pride than to look at who you were when Jesus found you. As you guide people to Jesus, remember where you were and be open with your story. The world doesn't need a perfect leader. It needs humble people to lead them to the Savior. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Did you want to hear more from Pastor Bill or listen to today's message again? You can find today's message and many others on our website, calvaryinglewood.org. Once again, that's calvaryinglewood.org. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. And if you want to do some deeper study for yourself, we have a daily Bible reading plan you can join in on with us. Well, we're out of time for today, but we'll be back right here next time for more in the book of 1 Timothy on A Transforming Word. <laughs>